Yes. Attention, armchair quarterbacks and shower thought GMs. It's time for this week's episode of Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. Do you want me to play Rocky Top now or after the show? <laughs> I prefer you never play that horrible song ever. It's a great song. It's one, of the old, one of the best in college football. What are you talking about? Every time we drive through Tennessee, we go, Rocky Top, ding, 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 ding. Whatever. You know that the black unis were pretty dope. They were. I, I will concede that point. What is it with all the teams having Halloween-esque colors this past week? Like like you mentioned the Browns and the Bengals were on Monday night. I, I have a weird feeling that game was specifically scheduled because they looked like Halloween. <laughs> that might be. Guys, welcome back for another episode of Sports Ball. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by my friend and Tampa Bay Sports superfan, Mike Meharry. Mike, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing okay. And as always, we're going to start off the show with some shit announcers all right. say. Constantly spiking him. It's coming all you want, but watch Fred Warner. Here's the twist. Big, big, big twist. You know it's coming. We've pointed out a few times. It's just really hard. Constantly spiking him. Comes off to the sideline and sticks his tongue out and he's in. And then hit the thumb. <laughs> Constantly spiking him. If I haven't worn underwear since I was 10 years old. And especially with somebody coming right in his face. I think both guys were tugging on each other. Constantly spiking him. And Russ starts cooking. That goes to the touchdown pass. Six straight completions yeah. for Russell Wilson. I don't know if that's cooking. That's just throwing it in the microwave, you know. <laughs> Heating up a little, a little hey, TV dinner. The way but it started. It's good, though. We'll take it. Nigger going to get old. Constantly spiking him. It's two and one in October. Taken that and run for the hills like I just absolutely hit the lottery with a bunch of Reese's penis peanut butter cups trick or treating. Lottery with a bunch of Reese's penis peanut butter cups trick or treating. Bunch of Reese's penis peanut butter cups Reese's penis Reese's penis constantly spiking him. I don't want that candy. You never had a Reese's penis, Mike? No. And did, and did I hear the N word? Okay. First of all, we didn't say it. That's number no. one. And That's second true. of all, he what he was he, he he was quoted saying really quickly, I think they're gonna get a hold. But he it kinda like bleh, you know, word salad kind of popped right. it vomited out. And it sounded like something else. Yes, it did. All right. Uh with that note, we're gonna enjoy another fantastic week with the referees on Oh Adventures and Officiating. Officiating. 14 seconds left in the first half of number 10 USC in Arizona. USC trying to get into field goal range, running out of time, rolling, rolling. Finds his man down at the nine-yard line. Notice the clock should have stopped at six seconds because the clock stops on a first down in college. They roll it down to five. They're lining up. They got to spike the ball here, Meharry. But look, mm -hmm. the clock's running. The uh -oh. referee hasn't spotted the ball yet, but the clock's running. Why is the clock running? USC's Gosh. pointing it out. Uh, the clock's at zero. They go ahead and snap the ball anyway. Roll out. Can't quite find the end zone. Um, the whole thing's an absolute disaster because, for one, the clock shouldn't have been running until the right. referee spotted the ball, which USC would have probably spiked the ball and kicked a field goal there. And then, and then to add insult to injury, when they actually did snap the ball, the clock had been at zero for one Mississippi, too. So it's it's right. wrong either way you put it. Arizona actually starts heading to the locker room, which, of course, they would, right? They don't of want to course. play another down. No. Uh, USC is waiting for this to get fixed. 
And after a conference, what do the referees say? It's the end of the half. The referees actually decide it's the end of the half. Lincoln Riley, obviously, kind of looking for a little bit of an explanation. He was actually telling his guys to stay on the field for several minutes while they hashed it out with the referees. But no, turns out that rule has been changed. The clock just runs whenever they want it to in college (laughs) football. They did indeed end the half. Oh, my. Perfect example of basically they're just making it up as they go along. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those things you might remember so infamously at the end of the Tennessee-Alabama game. Very similar situation, throwing to get into the field goal range. They did have a timeout, however, and so obviously with calling a timeout immediately at the end of the play, the, the clock was not going to run. They didn't have right. to rush to the to the line. However, it's still a similar situation of if if – if the first down stops the clock in college football, then when that player hits the ground, whatever the clock reads in that moment, that's what the clock should be wound back to when the ball right. is spotted. And then the the clock should not run until the ball is put down, the referee backs out and winds the clock. Yeah, right. Whistles the whistles play. Um, it's clearly wrong, but this is something that apparently they've decided is also not reviewable. If you're not going to review when the opposing team's stadium is running the clock, that's some amazing home field advantage. <laughs> right? Whew, well, that's a perfect lead-in to a puck to the head. This puck's going to hurt because Carolina Panthers receiver DJ Moore isn't wearing his helmet. Now, Moore made one hell of a catch. What a here. throw, by the way. Yeah, it was a nice throw. Tied up the game with less than a minute, under a minute. Uh, time's winding down. And then, as you can see, he took off his helmet in the celebration, and that is a no-no. So then we had the 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty for removing the helmet, which, by the way, in my never-to-be-humble opinion, is a retarded rule, but be that as it may, it is the rule. Uh, and that pushed the uh, extra point back. And Panthers kicker Eddie Pinero missed. Sent the game into overtime. Now, you know, we can understand more being excited about the catch, right? Mm -hmm. But he knows the rules. He shouldn't have taken his helmet off. But wait a minute. I'm going to deke. Uh-oh. Because upon further review, it's the NFL officials who threw the flag that should get the puck to the head. This could actually be an adventure in officiating because, as it turned out, Moore did not break the rule. Oh, the rule is removal of a helmet by a player in the field of play or the end zone during a celebration or demonstration or during a confrontation with the game official or any other player is a penalty. He was not in the field of play when he removed his helmet. He was out of the end zone in what is known as the border. So it was not technically a violation of the rule. He should not have been flagged. So I'm going to shoot the puck to the head, not at DJ Moore bit at the officially officiating crew who once again got it wrong. In Moore's defense, he believed himself the hero of the game at that point. And as we know from television, the heroes don't wear, wear helmets so that you can not. see their pretty faces. I've, well, I've also got a puck, by the way. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to talk about Michigan State and oh, Michigan. It's another this. situation where there's only one tunnel at one of the biggest stadiums in the world. Uh, upwards of eight Michigan State players are now suspended with assault charges pending because they decided to jump a Michigan player in the tunnel after the game. Now, of course, I, I could 
throw a cheap shot here and say they should have shown that much fight on the field <laughs> as opposed to in the tunnel. But Mike Meharry, this is actually the second such incident in just a few weeks at Michigan. What is the deal with these massive stadiums and incredibly wealthy programs having a single tunnel? I don't know. There's a lot of questions when I watch that video. Like, why is that dude by himself? Where's, Where's the rest of the Michigan right. Wolverines? And then yeah. there's the one coach who's kind of standing there going, huh? Looks mm -hmm. like my guys are getting beat up over there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's just a whole weird situation all the way around. A lot of pucks to go around. The officials, yeah. the tunnel, the Michigan player alone, the rest of his teammates, and other Michigan State Spartans not jumping in and saying, uh, guys, uh, stop. congratulations, you just ended your college football careers. Right. Um, on that note, speaking of things I could do... <laughs> I could do that. Remember that Eddie Pennyera boy? I, we're piling on the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. Talk about a team that doesn't really need to be piled on. Here's Eddie Pinheiro, kicker of the Carolina Panthers, taking some time out from his warm-up routine. Take some selfies. Didn't really need to work out the leg this week. He had to take some selfies before the game. And, oh, looks like maybe some extra practice would have paid off. So he did oh. indeed miss the 48-yard extra point attempt. Right. But just to prove it was no fluke, he also missed a 33-yard attempt in overtime that would have won the game. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Do you realize that if the Panthers had won that game, they would be in first place in the NFC South? I do realize that. that I, horrible. A lot of people kind of wanted that to happen, but, you know, just to prove it, just to prove the AFC, or excuse me, the NFC South is no fluke, they made sure it didn't happen. <laughs> right. Well, okay, so I've got a yay or nay for you. Oh, okay. And first I'll give you the yay or nay, and then I'll, I'll give you some, uh, a little context. Yay okay. or nay. Should a player who is mm -hmm. a superstar, mm -hmm. obviously one of the best players that would be on the field, Okay. Should they be benched for showing lack of effort on, say, a play or two? Hmm. Now, context, and I think we have a clip of this. All right. Uh, we've got uh, third and nine. Third and nine. Ten, ten Warren game. Sapp here talking. There's five Devin plays White. in a football game that will decide a football game. Tony Dungy used to I say. I hate to talk over Sapp because watch his this. commentary is so riveting. But, but in, in, a, in a nutshell, White's loafing here. Captain right here, number 45. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of hanging out. Fifty-four, just run through it. Just run through it. Nope. You know, Stapp's pretty good at this. The ball, the longest play <laughs> yeah, in the NFL. it's I almost like he did right. this for a living. Yeah. Boom! Lock your safety. Now we got a hat for a hat and a first down. I want you to watch the cap. Now here's where you really see White. You see his defensive linemen that sure were lined up on the other side of him, running, running past him. With this type of yeah. Ball. He's jogging, hanging out. Yeah, there's number nine that I came all the way across the other the side of the field. Right, exactly. He ends up being the one cutting off the runner, actually. What is that? So what is Sapp, that? Sapp said that he should have the, the C yanked from his sweater. And his teammates, of course, are, are have got his back. He was asked uh, by a reporter, actually, the other day, if he wanted to talk about it. And Devin's response was, no, I'm good, <laughs> which is debatable. But that brings us to the bigger question. If you see an effort like that, obviously mm -hmm. they're breaking this down in the film room. Um, you know, the rest of the guys have got to be saying, dude, what the? Yeah. Should he be benched as a coach? Would you bench a player like that to set an example, knowing that taking White off the field is taking by far one of your best defenders out of the game? So I've actually waffled back and forth on this one, Meharry. This is a good question. Because it is a good question. 
So on I the ask. one hand, you and I have had this conversation a number of times, which is you you should be putting your team in the best position to win, playing your best players and trying to win for 60 minutes. Even if right. the score is 100 to zero, you should always be giving because this is professional football. Right. You're getting paid to do this. Yes, exactly so. And and by the way, a lot of people's contracts hinge on these things, hinge on the sure. tackles, hinge on the stats, uh, coordinators, coaches, mm-hmm. every play matters. And so part of me thinks that, but if he's a star defensive player and he's a captain and, and, and you don't, you don't become a captain just for showing up on time, right? right? You have to put in a little bit more effort. Part of me thinks maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Like mm-hmm. he didn't get to where he is by, by being a, a serial uh, offender of these types of issues. And so maybe you give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. And Bowles, that was kind of how Bowles played it when, mm-hmm. when asked about it. He said, you know, he, he did kind of waffle a bit. He said, he said a little bit of a lack of effort, but he was also gassed. So, and, and, you know, that's possible, but then, then you have to ask the question, you know, if you're a 20 some year old NFL player, why mm-hmm. are you gassed? But Well, uh, I, let me, on the other side of that coin, let me, let me hit you with this analogy. We're okay. just a few days away from the 2022 midterms. Uh, I know. I, I hate to get political on you, but there, I'm going somewhere with this. All right, here we go. And there's a lot of people that have the attitude of even if even if the candidate for my team sucks, I got to vote for him because right. I can't let the other team's guy win. Yeah. And I get why people think that, mm-hmm. but let me share a little bit of wisdom with you here, and it's the it's the concept of short term losses in exchange for long term gains. Right. And in in the political sense, it's that maybe the short-term loss is, is you don't vote for a terrible candidate just because they're on your team. Mm-hmm. But it's because you're sending a message to your team that they need to run better candidates. And so right. maybe that means Be they maybe that means your team loses this time, but maybe your team will win forevermore because they're going to run better candidates. Right. And in the sense of bringing this back to your question for for this for Devin White and for football, is that Maybe you do hold everybody accountable, no matter how much they get paid or what level of stardom they have, because you're sending the message long term that we have a culture of winning for this program. We have a culture of effort and everyone giving 100 percent, because if you don't, it's not just a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face of your teammates, to the rest of your team, to the guys that were running past him trying to make a play. So I actually kind of lean towards... Not necessarily make an example of, maybe that's too harsh of lingo, but you 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 do address it and you address mm-hmm. it publicly because you want to be winners from here on out, not just that night. Yeah. Well, and as I'm sitting here thinking about what you're saying, uh, I think it's also incumbent upon a coach to set that standard from the get go. Mm-hmm. You know, don't wait until you have a problem to address that problem. In other words, training camp, you set that standard that if you're not giving hundred percent effort, you are going to be benched. Then there's no surprise. I mean, that's the expectation. Whereas if, you know, you're kind of let it go, let it go. And then all of a sudden you see something and you get mad and then it becomes arbitrary. I think, I think it's important to create that foundation from the very beginning that we expect yeah. 100% effort. We're going to enforce it no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what your position is, no matter whether you're the first string, second string, third string. Sure. That's how we're running this program. 
I don't know that Bowles did that, you know. And again, we don't know the the internals. We don't know mm-hmm. what was said off the field, um, or it, what if any discipline would be handed out. And, and maybe it's maybe the best move isn't benching. Maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe you make the dude do push-ups or something. Yeah. You know, I don't well, know. But I, I do think it needs to be addressed because um, you you have a responsibility to your team to mm-hmm. to be the best, and and I think it's up to the coaches to uphold that standard. Well, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. There's a reason why the teams that tend to be successful tend to be consistently successful for over multiple generations, and mm-hmm. the teams that tend to be not successful tend to be not successful for many, yep. many years, and it's it's culture. It's culture, culture. right. Yeah. Uh, guys, with that said, we're going to be back after the break to talk about the initial college football playoff rankings right after this commercial break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying this afternoon's episode of Sportsball, consider supporting the program by joining our Patreon over at patreon.com slash Mosley. Tune in to It's Too Late with Alan Mosley, Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on your favorite video platform of choice. Just search Alan Mosley TV. Absolutely brutalized yes. in that clip. I like the way you kind of just went. Yeah, right. So we are back from the break to talk about the first, the initial college football playoff rankings of the season. Now, Mike, you and I discussed weeks ago on this very show that I don't think now that we have college football playoff rankings and those are really the only rankings that matter. All the rankings from week one on, just they're just irrelevant. Like, why even bother having the teams ranked in the preseason when you don't know what team's going to show up and what's not? And right. frankly, those ranks absolutely don't matter until this week. But the rankings that do matter are right here. College football playoff rankings for November 1st. Oh, my God. Look at that team in number one. It's the Tennessee Ooh. Volunteers. Now, the early conversation was, would Tennessee get number one based on their resume and all those ranked wins to start the season? Or would it go to a team like Georgia or Ohio State from having been ranked higher in the AP or coaches poll earlier in the year? Well, boy, the defending champs Georgia didn't even get ranked first or second. They actually no. dropped a third. Yeah, Mike Meharry, we don't have a number one versus number two matchup anymore this weekend because Georgia fell out of the top two. <laughs> <laughs> Followed, of course, Ohio State, Georgia, and then Clemson, the undefeated ACC team. Yes. And then Michigan, Alabama, TCU, ramping out fifth, sixth, and then seventh, the first teams out. So we're going to kind of start there, Mike. Uh, We'll kind of go back and forth here. What do you think are the rankings that the committee got right? Well, I I think the the top three, Mm -hmm. and I could quibble with the ordering of Ohio State, Tennessee, Georgia. um, But I think the the top three are absolutely the top three. Um, Quite frankly, I'm very comfortable with Tennessee being number one just by looking at their body of work, the teams that they've beaten, the way that they've beaten those teams and, and just their overall resume, you know, you look, they absolutely just took apart a Kentucky team. That's, that's obvious, uh, arguably a top 30 team. So really strong football team here. And of course, 
you know, we'll, we'll get to see, uh, we'll get to see this weekend, the matchup between Georgia and Tennessee. So, uh, you know, in, in the big scheme of things, I don't know that it really matters. So I like the, I like the top three, you know, Clemson, eh, that, mm-hmm. that really sums up my view of Clemson. Eh. Yeah. I mean, they're undefeated. Uh, you know, they've won the games that they're supposed to win. I'm just not sold on the ACC. And I think you could make an argument for Michigan. Mm-hmm. being in that four spot. Um, obviously, you know, TCU unbeaten, you could make an argument for TCU being up in that position. So I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the, with the number four, but given the fact we're talking first rankings here, um, some of this stuff is naturally going to play out, you know, the Tennessee Georgia debate, we'll get to, we'll get to see that on the field. Um, you know, at some point we might get to see Alabama match up with uh, one of those two teams in the SEC championships. So, well, I, I think me, a lot of it will play out. As uh, Coach Heupel said, because they're they're trying to give all the pats on the back of, oh, you've had a good season as if the season ended today. What do you think right. about that number one ranking? And he said right. no one ever remembers who was ranked first at the start of the rankings. They remember who right. was ranked first at the end of the rankings, which is absolutely true. Uh, a few of the observations I have is that, so I, I, homerism aside, I do think Tennessee belongs at number one. Yeah. Uh, as a quick thing, there's a lot of drama from, from the jockeying of these positions, but we also know that a lot of that, not necessarily all, but a lot of that drama is going to take care of itself. Of course, yeah. Georgia and Tennessee play. Although the drama for next week will be, if that ends up being a close game, no matter who wins, will they actually both stay near the top? Because, right. I mean, how bad can losing to a top ranked team really be? <laughs> right. Um, Ohio State probably belongs there, but we also know Ohio State and Michigan will play. Right. So we know that that's another situation that will resolve itself. Right. So Michigan homers that were upset that they were outside of the top four behind Clemson. And I understand wanting to rank Michigan ahead of Clemson. Mm-hmm. But the good thing for Michigan is, is that they can silence all doubters by winning right. one game at the end of the regular season. They control their destiny as the saying goes. Now, compare that to instance to TCU. Now, TCU is another undefeated major conference leader right now mm-hmm. who, I mean, for my money, probably will finish the season unbeaten and win the Big 12. The problem is, is that when you're starting the rankings all the way down at seven, if nothing but the favorites win the rest of the way and it's relatively close games, uh, Clemson remains undefeated, one of the Big 10s remain undefeated, TCU is currently in the pole position of teams that can finish undefeated and not make the playoffs. Yeah. So I, I can imagine Horn Frog fans are pretty upset uh, at the initial rankings. Yeah. Uh, a, a couple more little highlights, and I'll, I'll pitch it back over to you. So I agree with you. I don't think Clemson's for real. Clemson's already had like three or four nail biters this season, including a nail blighter against a Wake Forest team that comes in at 21, but also just got destroyed by Louisville. I- yeah, by Louisville. Yeah, so the ACC, I don't think anyone thinks the ACC passes the smell test compared to the SEC or Big Ten, and probably not even compared to the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the Pac-12, a conference neither of us have mentioned so far, you've got a few entrants, Oregon at 8, USC at 9, Utah at 14th. But the fact of the matter is, is A, they've all beaten each other up. Mm-hmm. And B, if Oregon is the class of that conference, we already saw what happens when they play one of those teams in the top four. Right. They get absolutely, <laughs> utterly embarrassed on national television. Uh, one last thing I will say before I turn it over to you, LSU at number 10. Now, I've mentioned some yeah. teams that I think that they belong where they belong. Here's a couple I think they don't belong. 
LSU at number 10 does not belong in the top 10. This is a team that already has a couple of losses. They lost their home opener to a Florida State team that is conspicuously absent from that top 25 because they're right. not that good. Uh, but they also, their second loss was at home to Tennessee. Now, and if you're thinking, well, losing at home to the number one team can't be all that bad. Well, so, okay, so first of all, A, no one was sitting here talking about Tennessee being the best team in the country just a few weeks ago. No. And two, LSU didn't just lose. They got blown out. It was like a 40-point romp. I don't think any team can play any other team anywhere, lose by that many points, and consider themselves a top 10 team. And, and finally... The current group of five representative with the highest ranking is Tulane. Tulane, the yeah. green wave up there at 19th. They still have games against Cincinnati and UCF. If they take care of business, they will get a good bowl game, so hats off to them. But I want you to point out the difference between Tulane at 19th and Kansas State at 13th. Uh -huh. Kansas State's another team that already has two losses, but they're ranked at 13th. Kansas right. State is ranked six spots ahead of Tulane, despite one of their losses being to Tulane. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a head-scratcher. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a couple other things that stand out to me. Uh, you know, it seems like the ACC is getting a lot of love here. You've got North Carolina at 17. You've got Wake at 21. you got NC State right behind them. I don't, you know, if you, if you start thinking about the the better teams those don't stick out to me seems like the the and you know you mentioned this before we went on the show you know maybe this is just kind of a way to prop up clemson yes i agree yeah i think um, that that's a way to prop up clemson in the same way that lsu at 10 means that alabama gets to have a quote top 10 top matchup 10, this weekend right. yeah right um oklahoma state at 18, mm -hmm. Oklahoma State just got walloped this yes. weekend. Yes, they um, did. There's there was nothing in that performance and really anything. I, you know, when we were doing our picks last week, I said, I'm gonna keep riding the Cowboys. I'm off that horse. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. 18. And then of course, it just disturbs me to see UCF anywhere near any ranking, just because I hate them. <laughs> I, I, I know you do, and I knew you would say that. Um, I do want to take one quick uh, segue here before we move on. Uh, we've talked earlier in the season about the proposed expanded college football playoff that we right. would all like to see sooner, but it will be at a minimum by 2026. Right. If we had that expanded playoff right this minute, this is what the playoff would look like. Take a look at this. You would have uh, effectively play-in games between a 12th-ranked Tulane. There's Tulane yeah. as mm -hmm. the Group of Five representative. They'd be right. facing off against Michigan right now. Of course, Michigan fans, again, upset they didn't make the top four and they didn't get a bye. Right. But, they, but their reward is, is they're starting off with Tulane. You know what? If you did belong in the top four, you'd beat Tulane, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would think. Uh, yeah, on the other side, you have the 9 and 8. So the Pac-12 reps would basically, one would eliminate the other. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, you'd have LSU and TCU. Now, again, I don't think LSU belongs, but again, if you're a TCU fan and that's a Big 12 champion and you believe that they were got shafted by that low of a ranking, then you beat a team that doesn't belong. Uh, and, of course, at the bottom, you actually would have a rematch between Alabama and Ole Miss. Yeah. And and generally speaking, people don't like to see rematches in the postseason. But I actually don't hate that one uh, for the simple fact that 
uh, it would be one SEC team eliminating another. So, so for the people that are worried that the entire top would be littered by right. SEC teams, it, at least one less would be there then. Yeah. And then the winners of those games, winner of USC, Oregon has to take on number one ranked Tennessee. I think that'd be a fun game. Yeah. The points abound. Uh, Clemson would then take on most likely Michigan, but the winner mm-hmm. of Michigan and Tulane. So they would have a chance again to make a statement. Uh, winner of LSU TCU takes on Ohio State, which. Oof, be a yeah. t- that'd be a <laughs> tough one there. And then finally, the defending tam- champion Georgia Bulldogs would again be in an all-SEC matchup. And so again, even if you were a team, I, of course, th- those are East and West opponents, so they would not have necessarily played yet right. uh, by, the, by this point in the season. However, again, one SEC team would be eliminating another. So people who are tired, sick and tired of hearing the Southeastern Conference dominating, another SEC opponent would be eliminated. Um. Mike Meharry, what do you think? I think that's an awesome playoff. I well, that's my thought too. I would love to see this, and you know, the, the, we've talked about this before. That the bottom line is, when you you're still going to have debates. Well, what about UCLA or or whatever? That's always going to happen. But when you look at this playoff, it answers a whole lot more questions on the field yes. than what's going to be answered by you know the the rankings, and it leaves much less subjectivity to who the national champion is actually going to be. So I, I can't wait for this expanded playoff, to be honest with you. Um, I I mean, I guess it gives us something to talk about, right? We can bitch about the rankings, but I would much rather see this stuff played out on the field. So, well, um, yeah, exactly. The point is that in, in a scenario where we have this type of a playoff, no one gets left out, right? You got a mid major in there. Uh, you've got all the conference champions are in there. Uh, you got two pac 12s, you have two big tens. Of course, Mm -hmm. the two big tens are no mystery. It's Ohio state and Michigan. Um, again, no conference champions left out. So TCU you're in Clemson, you're in. And then finally, if, if you're saying, wait a minute, if I'm the sec and I think I'm superior to all these other teams and conferences, we should have more teams in. Well, Jesus, you got five, (laughs) (laughs) you got five. I think five is good. Uh, with that said, Mike Meharry, it's time to get our solemn faces on. It's time for In Memoriam, where we remember a player, a team, a coach, whoever, whose sporting life was cut tragically short. Mike, who are you remembering this week? Well, Alan, today we're going to be remembering Tom Brady's marriage. Oh, no. Yeah. We knew it was coming, right? Rip that C off your chest. <laughs> Yes, uh, last week, the divorce between Tom Brady and his lovely model wife, Giselle, was was finalized. Finalized very quickly, too, by the way, um, which apparently there was a, a very robust prenuptial agreement that allowed for a very quick divvying up of, uh, of income, assets, etc. But, you know, I'm not really remembering this so much because I care about Tom Brady's marriage. What does that really have to do with me? None of my business. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll leave that to TMZ to speculate on all of the ins and outs of the divorce. But the thing that's interesting to me is how is this impacting Tom Brady's play on the field? And I think that having gone through a divorce, it has to be impacting his play on the field. No matter who you are, no matter how well you can compartmentalize, divorce is stressful. It's emotional. And I think we've seen that, you know, Brady's always been pretty, uh, wear his feelings on his sleeve, but you can really see how quickly he becomes frustrated on the field. Um, 
just that kind of uncharacteristic, very quick to to turn negative. And I think this has had a had a big impact on his football. And so it'll be interesting to see if that kind of smooths out now that this is is behind him. But anyway, yeah. Mike, kind of a sad day. I'm remembering Brian Harson, who was just fired as oh. head coach of the Auburn Tigers, didn't even make it two full seasons. Uh, fired because they couldn't couldn't win enough games. Let's let's be honest. That's the real reason he was fired. But for people that forget, this wasn't the first controversy that he weathered in his very short tenure, if you want to call that lady on the right a controversy. <laughs> that was the first controversy that he weathered. Um, man, that's... He obviously knows something we don't, by the way, looking at the women in his life. But you're not supposed to have women in your life. You're supposed to have a woman in your life, Mike Meharry. So Brian Harson is out at Auburn. All right, time for the picks. We're going to run through these really quick. Starting in college football, you can tell that my graphic is old because this is not two versus one. This is one versus three. The number one Tennessee Volunteers going on the road, Mike they're nine-point underdogs as the number number one team in the country at the number three Georgia Bulldogs. What do you think? I feel like this is going to be a really good game. I like the mm-hmm. matchup of Georgia's defense against uh, Tennessee's high-flying offense. I think nine is a big number. I'm going to go with Tennessee just because of the points. Yeah, I think that uh, Tennessee loses their undefeated season this week. I genuinely do. Of course, I've thought that like four, four or five times right? already this so they're year. Gonna, they're going to win by 40. I, there's games that I picked them to lose this year that they won by 30, 30 40 points. Yes, that is correct. Um, with that said, I actually do go with Tennessee here um, on the spread. Uh, nine points is a lot for a team that has scored like a billion points a game. Yeah. Um, as a, as a quick aside for this game, look, Georgia has every reason to be hype going into this game and think that they should be number one in next week's rankings. They are the undefeated champions, and they haven't lost a game. Uh, with that said, it, it's, it's one, this is one of these games where it's the opposites. Instead of looking at Tennessee's offense and Georgia's defense, let's look at Georgia's offense and Tennessee's defense. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's defense has been a little bit maligned in the secondary, but their run game is stout. And last week, Meharry, that they played their best 60 minutes of football most recently, and Tennessee is the most healthy they've all been all season long going into this game. Can Stetson Bennett keep up with Hendon Hooker? Yeah, that's the question. I don't know. I'm going to go with Tennessee plus nine. Moving on to the Alabama Crimson Tide, who came in at six, who were playing the 10th ranked <laughs> LSU Tigers. What do you think? Uh, Alabama is a 13 point favorite. Again, big number. I, I think Alabama is going to win this game. Mm-hmm. Even going into Death Valley at night, tough place to play. Ten, you know, LSU is better than anybody expected, but I'm not all in on, on LSU. So yeah, I think Alabama is going to win outright. I think I'm going to take LSU with the points, though. So I'm actually going to take Alabama to cover. Uh, at last week's game, uh, LSU victory over Ole Miss was huge. Big win. Uh, really blew out an undefeated team at the time. But I think that's going to end up being more an indictment on Ole Miss not being for real with a uh, easy opening schedule than it will be for LSU. This LSU, Look, Alabama and Tennessee, we know for a fact, are two very closely matched teams. And Alabama is going to be on the warpath right now to try to reclaim their season's expectations. They've got mm-hmm. to win these games to get to the title game to move into the playoffs. They have they cannot afford to drop another. 
Um, Tennessee blew these guys out. Murdered yeah. them. It was like 40 to 13. I think Alabama does something very similar. I think Alabama wins by 24 or more. Mm. Uh, moving on to the NFL. The Tennessee Titans are 12 and a half point underdogs to the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, I know the Chiefs are playing at home, and I know the Titans. You want to talk about a team that doesn't pass the smell test. Right. Jesus, the Tennessee Titans. With that said, the Tennessee Titans last week, without Tannehill at quarterback, Malik Willis only barely being able to run the offense, but Derrick Henry goes over 200 yards. He's right back in the conversation of being the best running back in the NFL. I don't know. What do you think? Again, I keep seeing these big spreads, mm -hmm. and you know it's it's the Allen rule. You got to yeah. beware of the big spreads, especially in the NFL. You rarely yes. see big blowouts like that. And for whatever faults Tennessee has, they do have Derrick Henry. They do have the ability to control the ball. That means that you're going to potentially keep uh, Mahomes and his mm -hmm. crew off of the field. I just think that's too big a number, and yeah. uh, I don't think Tennessee, I don't think uh, Kansas City is going to cover that spread. They might win the game, but I think it's going to be closer than that. The NFL is tricky because, for one, the reason why you don't see spreads that big is because every team playing is a professional football team. It's not. Right. It's it's not like the Sisters of the Poor versus the New York Giants, right? These, right. these are professional football teams. Uh, with that said. Which what Tennessee team are we going to see? Are we going to see the team that lost by forty to the Buffalo Bills, or are we going to see mm -hmm. the team that hasn't hasn't lost since then? Right. We don't we don't know. Um, I do think that spread's too big. Now Tennessee is a team. You think of Jonathan Taylor for the Indianapolis Colts, mm -hmm. uh, running with a so-so game manager quarterback at the time in Matt Ryan. Uh, Indianapolis and Tennessee are very similar teams. Indianapolis beat the Chiefs. Yep. They didn't just they didn't just keep it close. They beat them. They I did. think that this is not a great matchup for the Chiefs. I don't think it ever really has been. And while I think the Chiefs will win, I don't think they cover 12 and a half. Yeah. Uh finally for NFL, uh, what is this? Uh Sunday night football. The Baltimore Ravens, who are three point favorites on the road against the New Orleans Saints. I think I'm gonna go Ravens on this one. Uh this is more of a reasonable spread. Mm -hmm. Basically, you're you're calling it a toss up. Um, you know, New Orleans is struggling. They don't really know who their quarterback is. Um, uh, yeah, they they don't know. They just know it's not Jameis Winston, <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair enough. And and you know, I don't know. I I'm going with Baltimore. So remember, remember when I said that every single week I expect this will be the week that Baltimore finally turns it around and establishes themselves as a good team? Right. They almost still failed to do that by almost letting the Browns come back and win last week. But I swear right. to God, I'm, I'm going to be like you were with Oklahoma State. I'm riding the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens until they have their 40-point <laughs> loss, and I just write them off. So I'm going with the Ravens minus three. We're moving on to some hockey news. Ooh. NHL, Mike Meharry, the Carolina Hurricanes taking on the t your Tampa Bay Lightning. Yes. This is a good matchup, good early season matchup. Um, this is a team that the Lightning doesn't match up real well with. The Carolina likes to play defense. Mm -hmm. um, they're very comfortable in, in tight games. And uh, the Lightning, you know, they won uh, – Tuesday night in Ottawa, but it was like the ugliest win I've ever seen in an NHL game. They're making the Lightning making a lot of mistakes. Um, 
I, I feel like that at this point in the season, her, the Hurricanes are going to take advantage of those mistakes and then clamp down on defense. So I'm going to take the I'm going to take the Canes in this one. I hate to say. What I thought was really interesting is it's early in the season. Carolina's only 6-2-1, and one, but they're 4-1-1 and one on the road because, A, they've barely been home yeah. <laughs> for the entire opening of the season, so I kind of feel bad for them. But, B, they've proven to be a very good road team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, again, that goes back to the way they play the game. You know, a defensive teams, uh, they, they can weather those offensive pushes that you typically get in the early part of a home home game and, and – uh, they're really good at locking it down. It's a really good team. I mean, this is a team that I would not be surprised to see make a deep run in the playoffs. I'm going to go Carolina just to spite you. <laughs> well, I went Carolina too, so I'm not okay. sure what the spite <laughs> is, but okay. You're the worst Tampa Bay super fan ever. <laughs> All right. Am. Finally, we're ending with the Boston Bruin, Andrew Avery's very own Boston Bruins, who are 8-1 and one yeah. in their first nine, going on the road to play the New York Rangers, a trendy pick this year. What do you think? I think the Bruins are are playing a little bit above themselves right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll come back to earth a little bit. Nevertheless, good, good solid team. Still one of the best top lines in hockey. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers are built a lot like the Lightning. They they play good defense and they rely a lot on Shesterkin, who is arguably um, at least the second best goalie in the NHL behind uh, Andre Vasilevsky. So at home, I'm going to take the Rangers and uh, Shesterkin to quiet down the Boston offense and and pull out the win at the Garden. Um. Just because you describe them as playing above themselves and coming back down to earth, that that must mean that I am a Boston Bruin. So I'm going to (laughs) go with Boston Bruins to win on the road. Uh, Mike, do you have a final thought? Uh, Final thought. Baseball had Mm -hmm. a no-hitter last night in the World Series. Houston Astros uh, combined no-hitter. This is what I find interesting. Only the third no-hitter in World Series history. Which you would think there'd be more than that, as many World Series games as there have been. Huge to get one, but also they needed one because they were close to having a series get away from them. I know. I'm I'm surprised. I'm surprised that the Phillies are playing as well as they are. I'll give you my quick final thought. So a real in memoriam to Ray Guy. I saw that yeah, right before we were I saw going that. on. Re- yeah. Rest in peace to the legendary boot. Just if you if you want to know how good he was, it's he's one of the guys they name awards after. Mm-hmm. So that's how that's how you know that the guys are good. It's a Lombardi trophy for a reason. That's every kicker wants to win the Ray Guy award. Yeah. Uh guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of Sports Ball, and we will see you next week. You have been listening to Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Odyssey, all at Alan Mosley TV. You can also subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platforms. Just search for Sports Ball with Mike and Alan. And you can find the weekly Sunken Cost Money Pit at Substack. Thanks for listening. We'll have more bread and circuses next week.